Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Please take care of yourself. Bienvenidos, bitches, Buiti, Binafi, and thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and those who are othered and the victims. Because contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cisgender, white dudes. No, no. Now, these crimes rarely get any public attention because the news is racist, (laughs) allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a Black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. It is not her fault. She's actually one of the good ones, (laughs) and we love her so much. (laughs) We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists, just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that our opinions. Well, well, well. Uh, Why don't you tell us, Beth, who are we talking about today? Well, this is going to be a two-parter because it's a long story. It's about Juan David Ortiz, aka the serial killer of Laredo. He was a border patrol agent turned serial killer. Yeah, but uh, before we get into it, how you doing? I'm doing good. Well, there's a lot of retirements at work um, Mm. and we're hitting like, it's almost like a turnover of staff it's very strange oh uh you know and it's interesting because um everybody's talking about the job market there's so many jobs and that boomers are finally retiring yeah finally it's our chance millennials get in there (laughs) get all those executive positions yeah um but it makes sense i mean so it goes it's just um it's just really weird weird and then you know everybody else is sort of left to continue on the work until they fill those positions so that can be frustrating well geez friend um we're recording this on a weekend it's it's saturday night and (laughs) it feels so awkward um but i I mean was your week good other than all the stuff yeah it was it was good very busy as usual maybe busier than usual um Mm -hmm. and yeah lots of stuff going on in the evenings as well Mm -hmm. because of the parties yeah retirement stuff so Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a very busy week. How about you? It was a busy week as well. Um, I have these little offspring and they're in so many activities. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And And then, um, yeah, just work 
work has been busy and, um, you know, it's tax time. So that is something that we have to um, finish and I'm working on it as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anywho, but uh, everything is awesome. uh, Other than all of that, things are things are great. Yep. Can't complain. No, no, no. It could be so much worse. Yeah, yeah, not going to (laughs) complain. Although I did cry a lot today and yesterday and the day before, but Mm. that's... That's just me. <laughs> Wendy has big feelings. So anyway, let's get into some listener letters. Well, hello, angels. Thank you. <sighs> I just love that sweet, sweet sound. Me too. What is in that bag, Beth? Well, first I wanted to say, please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602 602- and we may feature it on a future episode and if you don't want it on an episode you just want to leave a voicemail just let us know and we won't do it absolutely yes Yes. i also wanted to say thank you to sandship465 for your five-star review oh yeah yeah Thank you. And then to Catherine for your email. And oh, uh, Catherine, that was a lovely one. Yeah, it was. And Catherine recommended a podcast out of New Zealand called The Lake, which oh. focuses on children institutionalized at an adult mental institution, Lake Whoa. Alice, and the torture and abuse inflicted upon them by both adult patients and their doctors. So. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Well, I subscribed. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Catherine. Yeah, thank you. Um, and Hip Hop Air Horns, because that is wonderful. Thank you for sharing that show. Yeah. So um, we got many, 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 many Patreons and supporters this week. So thank you to all of you. Um, you all make this Fruit Loops thing possible. So just real quick, uh, before I get into the tunes, Michael D, Samenchi, returning champ, um, Kimberly <laughs> W, uh, Samia A, Joanne H, Alexandra, and Angela D. So wow. <clears throat> That's a lot. So (laughs) buckle up. Here I go. (laughs) Oh, oh, and here are your hip hop air horns before I forget. Okay, Michael D, this is for you. There goes Michael. Watch him as he goes. There goes Michael. Welcome, Fruity. <laughs> okay, so um, this next one is for Samenchi. Crime after crime after crime, I try to fight it. But your love is strong, it keeps on parting on. <laughs> we get so weak, Samenchi. We can hardly speak. We lose our control. There's something take over me. That's all I got. Um, so <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I went a little off script. Okay, Kimberly W., this is for you. You don't have to be rich, Kimberly. You just have to be you to rule our world. We just want your extra time and your kiss. <laughs> All right, Samia, this is for you. Como la flor, tanto amor. Samia, thank you for Patreon. I thank you, Samia. I thank you, Samia. <laughs> um, and this one is for Joanne H. And when I get that feeling, I say thank you, Joanna. Joanne, baby, hey, baby, feels good for me. Joanne, okay, I'll stop. <laughs> Got a little too into it. Uh-oh, Alexandra, this is for you. <laughs> All my love, Alexandra, thank you. Never too much, never too much, never too much. It's my Lucifer Vandross impression. It wasn't the best, but I hope you like it. Now, Angela D, this is for you. Yes, I believe in me. So you believe in you. Help me sing it. Mama say, Mama Sama Angela. 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 Woohoo! So those are your tunes, everybody. Thank you for supporting our show. Yeah, thank you. We are going to take a quick break and we're going to get into the story when we come back. (laughs) 
Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. All right, we're back. Now remind us, Beth, who is our subject today. Today we're talking about Juan David Ortiz, a border patrol agent in Laredo, Texas, who went on a nearly two-week-long serial killing spree on September of 2018, murdering four women and attempting to murder a fifth. So now it's stat time. So we want to say rest in power to the victims. They were Melissa Ramirez, 29, Claudine Ann Luera, 42, Giselda, also known as Chelly, Alicia Hernandez Cantu, who's 35, Janelle Ortiz, a.k.a. Nikki Enriquez, who's 28. And there was a fifth victim who survived the attack. And we're going to, um, when we get into the story, give more um, info about the victims because they mattered. Um, each woman was shot and left along the roads on the outskirts of Laredo in September 2018. Shelly Hernandez Cantu died of blunt force trauma after being shot. All of the victims were U.S. citizens and they actually all knew each other and looked out for each other and supported each other. One source said they even watched each other's kids. Oh, so, wow. um, and they were also familiar with Ortiz on su- and on some level trusted him. Yeah. Um, so we just want to say rest in power to all the victims, love and light to the children, the surviving children. There are a lot of them, pa- parents, siblings and loved ones left behind and also love and light to the communities. I mean, um, not just the community of Laredo, but the LGBTQ community, the um, c- community of folks who are uh, sex workers. Um, yeah. This uh, hit hard. Yeah. So so now it is time to get into the setting. Take us there, Ben. Well, the setting is Laredo, Texas. Laredo is in southern Texas on the Rio Grande River, across from the Mexican city of Nuevo Laredo, and 150 miles southwest of San Antonio. Humans have lived in South Texas for more than 11,000 years. Wow. And many Native American tribes lived along the Rio Grande. Wow. On down to San Antonio. <laughs> but by the 18th century, much of the Rio Grande area was taken by Spanish and Mexican settlers. By the middle of the 19th century, the culture and languages of many of the indigenous people had disappeared, and today our information about them is limited. Mexican linguists constructed what is now known as Cuayeltican culture by assembling bits of information recorded by Spaniards. The Cuayeltican tribes were made up of hundreds of autonomous bands of hunter-gatherers who ranged over areas in northeast Mexico and southern Texas. Over 30 different tribal groups have been identified as having lived along the lower Rio Grande. In the 1700s, the Comanches and Lipan Apaches were steadily moving south. With the introduction of the horse by the Spaniards, both the Comanches and Apache became skilled horsemen, enabling them to hunt with greater ease. They also became skilled raiders of settlements. Both the tribes depended on buffalo and began warring with each other over the rich hunting grounds in the plains of Texas. Hey, I heard a weird buffalo fact. What? Is it true that mozzarella cheese is made from buffalo milk? No. Oh, are you sure? (laughs) I believe everything I see on the internet. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Damn it. Okay, never mind. (laughs) 
as the Quailticans found themselves competing with the Spaniards, the Comanches, and Apaches for land, food, and other resources. Over time, the Spanish missions provided a refuge and a place of employment for the displaced and declining native populations. Mission villages became home to dozens of indigenous groups who came from the surrounding areas. But again, they didn't ask for it. (laughs) No, no. So the Spanish colonial settlement of Villa de San Agustin de Laredo was founded in 1755 by Tomas Sanchez as a ferry crossing. Unlike most Spanish settlements in Texas, which were organized around forts or missions, named after Laredo, Spain, the city is one of the principal border crossings from Mexico into Texas. Almost from its founding, Laredo's citizens struggled to live, having a nearly continuous need for protection against raids. When Mexico won its independence from Spain in 1821, Laredo became a Mexican city. Then in 1836, the Republic Republic of Texas won its independence from Mexico and attempted to claim jurisdiction up to the Rio Grande River. Stuck in the middle of this chaos was Laredo, a city claimed by both sides, but protected by neither. And on January 17, 1840, Mexican Federalists, who believed in local control of resources and protections, seceded from Mexico and formed the Independent Republic of the Rio Grande. Laredo was named the capital. Claimed for its territory was the area encompassing Tamaulipas and Coahuila, northward to the Nueces and Medina rivers. It lasted for 283 days before they surrendered the land back to Mexico. In 1845, the annexation of Texas to the U.S. led to war with Mexico, and the following year, when the war ended, the Rio Grande officially became the international border and Laredo was a part of Texas. Seventeen Laredo families who wished to remain in Mexico moved to the Mexican side of the Rio Grande and founded Nuevo Laredo, Laredo's sister city. The founders of Nuevo Laredo even took with them the bones of their ancestors so that they could rest in Mexican ground. Mm, I love that. That that touched my heart. Um, Laredo is a city that is both Mexican and American. It has retained much of the influence and language of Spain and Mexico, seen in its adobe houses, church buildings, mission bells, and plazas. Near the downtown plaza are rows upon rows of Mexican import shops. Across the river in Nuevo Laredo are dozens of factories that were established after the North American Free Trade Agreement went into effect in 1994. NAFTA? NAFTA. Lock her up! It is a regionally important manufacturing center, and Laredo subsequently became one of the fastest growing cities in the United States. I'm totally kidding about locking her up. I know, I know. This is actually a good thing. (laughs) So uh, it's the 10th largest city in Texas and the third most populated on the U.S.-Mexico border behind San Diego and El Paso. Today, Laredo has a population of about 270,000, but before the North American Free Trade Agreement went into effect, it was approximately half that. Laredo is home to a Philharmonic Orchestra, a semi-professional soccer team, Texas A&M, International University, and 24 Catholic churches. More than 2 million semi-trucks hauling goods go across Laredo's international bridges each year. Because of the large volume of trucks that pass through the area and the multiple ports of entry, there is drug trafficking and human trafficking routed through Laredo. Yet for all the talk among politicians about border crime, Laredo, like most border cities, is a safe place to live, with lower crime rates than Dallas and Houston. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Now, since 2010, Laredo rarely saw more than 12 murders a year, and those were almost always solved after routine investigations, with arrests coming quickly. Most of the area's violent crime takes place in Nuevo Laredo, which is known for its turf wars in which drug cartels compete for control of the drug trade into the United States. But according to the Southern Borders Communities Coalition and Advocacy Group, since January 2010, more than 245 people have died as a result of an encounter with a border agent. Oh boy, don't get me started. (laughs) To be clear, that's everywhere, not just Laredo, but it's still a staggering statistic. Mm -hmm. The U.S. Customs and Border Protection has also been criticized for not fully investigating and disciplining its own agents for using excessive force on the job. Seems to be a problem with any kind of uh, policing law enforcement agency. agency. It's quite disgusting. I will also say that Juan David Ortiz is not the only Border Patrol agent around this time, 2018, who murdered more than one person. Yeah, it it was. Um, It's crazy how many there were. 
Yeah. Uh, so uh, welcome to Culture Corner with Wendy and Beth. Now, from the beginning, the United States was built on the dual foundation of open immigration for whites only from Northern Europe and racial subordination and exclusion of enslaved people from Africa, Native Americans, and eventually immigrants from other parts of the world. Racial exclusion was first codified in the Naturalization Act of 1790, which restricted citizenship to get this any alien being a free white person then there was legislation legislation restricting immigration after the act prohibiting importation of slaves that was in 1807 then there was the page act of 1875 prohibiting the entry of asian women and then the chinese exclusion act of 1882 barred all chinese immigrants uh and there's lots more i could keep going Yeah, yeah but president teddy roosevelt said that owing to the low birth rates of whites the restrictions were necessary Necessary mm. to prevent what he termed "quote unquote" race suicide. Oh my god! Uh, and in 1907, he signed the Gentlemen's Agreement with Japan that limited entry of Japanese immigrants. So, from we have the Chinese Exclusion Act and the Muslim ban. Immigrant immigration restriction restrictions, according to the New York Times, have been a mechanism for protecting a fleeting vision of a white country. Right. Gross. Yeah. Now the list goes on, as I said, but the most recent iteration of all of this bullshit is Title 42, which was implemented in March of 2020 at the outset of COVID-19 and the pandemic. And it allows border agents to push migrants back across the U.S.-Mexico border for public health reasons. Mm. Nege. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it sucks. Gross. Yeah. yeah. In border communities, the dark green uniformed border agents are everywhere. In Laredo, where the poverty rate is twice as high as the national average and high paying jobs are hard to come by, a position with the Border Patrol is considered a coveted career. Border Patrol agents are fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, husbands, wives and neighbors. Part of the community. Yeah, I think I'm really glad you put that part in there about it Be a good job being hard to come by. Yeah. And I, I, you know, even folks like my dad, who with a military background, he was out of the military, and it was time to find a job. Well, a law enforcement type job was one that um, your military skills translate to. And right. we'll find that with Juan David Ortiz yeah. and other serial killers. But my dad's not a serial killer. Anyway, there <laughs> that are... you know of. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just I know. Kidding. That was funny. So, uh, so there are four vehicular international bridges in Laredo. Until drug violence began escalating in Nuevo Laredo in the early 2000s, crossing the border was a routine part of life for both Mexicans and Americans who drove from one side to another to shop, eat, drink, visit family, seek medical care, even go to school. Yeah, yeah. Approximately 95% of Laredo's population is of Mexican descent. Many have family living just across the bridge in Nuevo Laredo. Only 10% of the population speaks English alone, while the remaining 90% are bilingual. Anywhere you go in Laredo, you're as likely to hear Spanish as you are to hear English, and sometimes both in the same sentence. I just think that's beautiful. I mean, yeah. there's been so much research about the benefits of learning another language yeah. or encountering another culture right. on the regular and just what that does to your level of empathy for people yeah. who are different than you. So the people of Laredo are better than us. Yes. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, so scholar Gloria Anzaldúa in Borderlands slash La Frontera, the new mestiza, describes the border as una herida abierta, an open wound, where the third world grates against the first and bleeds. Wow. Oof. And before a scab forms, it hemorrhages again. The lifeblood of two worlds merging to form a third country, a border culture, end quote. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's profound. Who is this lady? Yeah. Get her on a statue. <laughs> uh, so now we're going to get into the early life of Juan David Ortiz. A los muchachos asesinatos se las cantamos así. What do you got, Beth? Juan David Ortiz was born in Brownsville, Texas, the oldest of four children raised by a single mother. In high school, he competed on the swim team and ran cross country. He was a member of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes and was active in the youth group at an Assembly of God church. His friends called him JD, but he also went by David. In July of 2001, he enlisted in the Navy and became an emergency medical technician trained to provide trauma care during combat. He was dispatched to the Marine Corps Air Ground 
underground combat center in 29 Palms, California, and was placed with a platoon of Marines who called him Doc. One of his closest friends there, Jerry Solis, who was from Laredo, appreciated David's good-natured personality and his devotion to Christian values. David rarely cursed and didn't try to pick up women when he went to nightclubs with his fellow Marines. According to Jerry, quote, he was the kind of guy you could trust, a good man, unquote. In January of 2003, David, at only 19 years old, deployed with his unit to Kuwait. Two months later, they were sent to Baghdad, where David accompanied a group of Marines who had been ordered to clear some of the city's dangerous streets, and he witnessed intense combat but was never wounded. On May 4th, three days after President George W. Bush's mission accomplished speech, remember that? Yep. (laughs) Oh, brother. Bullshit! Yeah, bullshit! (laughs) David's unit was shipped back to the United States, and he flew to Brownsville for a few days of leave, where he was given a hero's welcome. During his leave, David ran into a high school friend named Daniela, who was working in a beauty shop at the mall. The following year, they married in Brownsville and held their reception at a ballroom across the border in Matamoros. In 2005, David was transferred to Fort Sam Houston's Navy Medicine Training Support Center in San Antonio. While in San Antonio, David enrolled at American Military University Online and earned a bachelor's degree in criminal justice. The irony of it all. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. In May 2009, he left the Navy. Although he had a job offer from the San Antonio Police Department, he decided to join the Border Patrol instead. After he struck a deal where his years in the military would count towards a generous pension. Yeah, and an earlier retirement, my understanding was as well. So David spent 58 days at the Border Patrol's Academy in New Mexico. That's all it takes? Mm -hmm. Uh, He was required to pass a drug screen, a lie detector test, and a battery of physical fitness exams. He was trained in high-speed off-road pursuit driving and taught to use an agency-issued 40 caliber semi-automatic pistol. He also took classes at the Academy in Criminal and Immigration Law. One of his buddies from the Marines said that David genuinely cared about the migrants crossing the border, saying, quote, he wanted to use his medical skills to help migrants who had been traveling for days in the desert, unquote. That sounds good. good. Yeah. Um, and this, this is such a baffling case. Yeah. So people who knew David said he was a respected agent, dedicated and hardworking. There was only one complaint ever filed against him. A migrant accused David of stealing a cigarette. But after an internal investigation, the complaint was dismissed. In 2014, he passed his Border Patrol review, which is used to screen for Border Patrol agents who might abuse their power. It includes a background investigation, credit checks and interviews with family and former co-workers to look for red flags and he passed <laughs> wow yeah. a year later he moved to Laredo by 2017 David had been promoted to the position of intelligence supervisor at the South Texas Border Intelligence Center in Laredo David and Daniela had two children he spent most of his free time with Daniela and the kids occasionally on Saturdays he hunted or fished with his friend Jerry Solis on Sundays he and his family attended the first assembly of God but one of his Marine buddy said that David did occasionally send him texts about his job, saying that he felt like he was back in Iraq, going to war every day. Mm. The Marine buddy suspected David was experiencing long repressed PTSD, and he suggested that David get some help. So David, at least for a while, went to Laredo's VA clinic where he was prescribed medication. No one had ever heard him say anything about a hatred of sex workers. He was reportedly being considered for another promotion at the South Texas Border Intelligence Center. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. True terrors of horror 
bizarre happenings, unexplainable events. On our podcast, Disturbed, Terror Takes Center Stage. Each episode is a journey into the darkest corners of human existence, delving into bone-chilling tales of kidnappings, serial killers, maniacs, and the very essence of your worst nightmares coming to life on this weekly true horror show. Disturbed is not for the faint of heart. It's an exploration of real, unadulterated horror sourced from everyday people. Each episode is a descent into the macabre, where we narrate stories that will leave you on the edge of your seat and crawling in your skin. We navigate the disturbing narratives that lurk in the shadows, offering a raw and unfiltered listen into the most terrifying aspects of the human experience. Enter at your own risk and let the unsettling tales unfold in the haunting realm of Disturbed. And remember, listeners, stay safe out there. So now we're going to get into the timeline. Hit it, Beth. In Laredo, there is a four-block section of San Bernardo Avenue, a couple of miles north of downtown, that is known as a hotspot for drugs and sex work. Locals refer to it as the quote-unquote prostitution blocks, but we won't call it that. Nope. We'll just call it the blocks. Thank you. Most of the women working the blocks knew each other well, as uh, you mentioned earlier in the stats. Yeah, they all looked out for each other. And in early 2018, Ortiz told Jerry Solis he had to forfeit the hunting lease the two shared outside of Laredo, saying that he had to work too much and that he was under a lot of pressure at his job. And in the late spring of 2018, when he was 35, Ortiz began frequenting the blocks. At about six feet tall and 200 pounds, he wore his hair in a military cut, trimmed on the top and shaved on the sides. He usually showed up after dark, slowing his white 2015 Dodge Ram pickup as he came to that four block area. On any given night, there were six to 10 women working the blocks. Whenever Ortiz would pull up beside one of the women in his pickup, he would give her a smile. He told some of the women his name was Juan. With others, he went by David. He did ask for sex, but every now and then he'd just want to go for a drive and talk. According to one woman, Ortiz was a regular customer. She liked him. He was, quote, nice, smart, funny, and a normal guy, unquote. He would give her money to buy drugs or drive her to a drug house if she asked. Occasionally, he would take a woman to his home in a well-kept subdivision in far north Laredo, explaining that his wife and children were out of town. After an hour or so, he would drive her back to San Bernardo, hand her some cash, and wish her a good evening. One of the women would later tell a close family member that he was the most pleasant of all the men she met there. Wow. During the spring and summer of 2018, Ortiz and Jerry Solis would periodically meet up at the truck yard owned by Jerry's family or at Buffalo Wild Wings. Mm. <laughs> uh, according to Jerry, Ortiz would drink excessively, which made it hard to have a conversation with him. So he's having some trouble. I don't really know what it is, but he's struggling with something because he's it, Yeah, it sounds like out. the PTSD yeah. and the booze and the medication is not a good, good combination. Mix. I mean, yeah, he's he, seeking out sex workers, not just for sex but for somebody to, to talk, talk to, to. Yeah. yes yes yeah um and his job um look i don't want you to get it twisted that i'm for police or law enforcement but it does sound like it is a stressful job and Takes at this point in time it, it took a toll on him yeah so yeah in late spring or early summer 2018, Ortiz told Jerry that he had gone to Laredo's VA clinic, where a doctor had prescribed what Jerry described as antipsychotic medication. And we don't know what that medication was. Right. I tried to find out, but mm -hmm. um, I couldn't. It could be something as simple as a, a anti-anxiety or antidepressant. Mm -hmm. um, but Jerry said it was antipsychotic medication. I don't know what that means. Okay. So Jerry said, quote, I told him, man, don't go overboard with those pills and don't drink and take those pills at the same time. They will fuck you up. But he said, these pills work. I don't feel bad. I have no stress, no worries. I feel untouchable, unquote. Um, I am just looking at this and I, whatever it was, I want it. 
so later that summer, Ortiz showed Jerry a photo on his phone of a young woman. He said he had met her at a Gold's gym. Jerry was stunned. Quote, I said to him, have you thought about what you're going to do if your wife finds out you have a girlfriend? Are you willing to lose her and your kids? And he said, there's going to be no problem. My girlfriend knows I'm married and she's okay with that, unquote. Woo. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. Mm, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I will say, you know, it's 2022 and yeah. I do have friends who are in like polygamous relationships with men who are married and the wife knows about the other women and they all it works. It works. Yeah. I, I'm not making a judgment on oh. that. I'm just thinking I don't think his wife's going to be OK with that. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think you're 100 percent right. Yeah. On August 30th, Jerry invited Ortiz to the truck yard to watch a preseason game between the Dallas Cowboys and Houston Texans. Hmm. Ortiz took a couple of pills and drank several beers. And I'm wondering if he's doing other drugs as well. I, I don't know. I, that was my impression um, in my research. Yeah. Uh, nobody explicitly said it, but, but everybody it, speculated. Yeah, yeah, it sounds to me like maybe he was doing drugs. Doing drugs. Yeah. <laughs> so he said little and left before the game ended, explaining that he had to be at work early the next morning. Three days later, on Sunday, September 2nd, 2018, the day before Labor Day, Ortiz arrived at the blocks in the late evening hours and spotted Melissa Ramirez, 29. According to her mother, Melissa was the third of four children and had been a good student. She referred to her daughter as Mi Niña Hermosa, my beautiful girl. Mm. Growing up in Rio Bravo, a low-income border community located south of Laredo, Melissa learned to play Mexican folk music on an accordion and mm. sang along with Selena's songs when they came on the radio. Oh. Whenever the ice cream truck drove by, she begged her mother for spare change so she could buy ice cream for her friends who had no money. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. But when she was a teenager, she was sexually assaulted by an uncle of one of her friends and her life began to spiral. She dropped out of high school, became addicted to prescription drugs and eventually turned to cocaine. She lived in Rio Bravo with her mother and two of her children, ages seven and three. Although she doted on her children and was a loving mother, she continued to be plagued by addiction. Sometimes desperate for money to buy drugs, she would leave her kids with her mother, catch a bus from Rio Bravo to downtown Laredo and walk up San Bernardo to the blocks. That September night, she got into Ortiz's truck and drove away. At around noon the next day, the Webb County Sheriff's Department dispatcher received a call from a rancher who had discovered a woman lying face down on the side of the dirt road in a remote part of the county, 24 miles north of Laredo. A deputy was sent to investigate. The woman, who was clutching a bag of M&Ms, and it's these little Aww. details that really break my heart. Yeah, mine yeah. too. That's so regular. That yeah. could be any of us. Yeah. When we're telling these stories, it's like, oh, there's a body, you know, and mm -hmm. and it, it doesn't really uh, hit you until you, there's like a little personal detail. Yeah, like this. the little details yeah. really... Um, it's what, what we all hit should you. be thinking all the yeah. time. Yeah, they hit you, but it's a reminder of how human these people right. are, these victims yeah. are. She had been shot three times in the head and once in her right wrist. On the ground beside her were 40 caliber bullet casings, suggesting she had been gunned down at point blank range. She was identified through her fingerprints as Melissa Ramirez. And was she the first victim or the first yeah. body found? First okay. victim. Okay, so Ortiz took no time off work and colleagues could remember no change to his daily routine. After a couple of days of investigation, the Rangers, the Texas Rangers ugh, yep. and Webb County Sheriff's detectives did make some headway, collecting the names of three men who were said to have associated with Melissa. Although there were no Border Patrol cameras in the immediate area where Melissa's body was found, there were a few nearby. And I bet he knew where all those cameras were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and he was, was he a supervisor yet? Yeah. So he also had extra access yep. to everything. So. Yep. Yeah. The rangers and sheriff's detectives asked the Border Patrol to run license plate checks on vehicles photographed on those roads over the Labor Day weekend. If a vehicle belonging to one of the three men who knew Melissa had been photographed, the investigators would have a prime suspect. One of the center's intelligence supervisors who was asked to assist in the investigation was none other than Juan David Ortiz. So he's investigating <laughs> the murder that he the committed. The murder he committed. Yeah. Oh, wow. my God. God. Wow. He was filled in on Melissa's murder. Which and, he already knew all about. <laughs> yep. Yep. 
And he and his team promptly ran license plate checks. They didn't discover any connections to the three suspects. Oh, wow. But they did identify a car that belonged to a police officer. When investigators interviewed him, the officer explained that he was looking at property in the area and he was cleared. When Jerry Solis saw Melissa's photo in the newspaper, he was struck by her resemblance to the photo of the woman he had seen on Ortiz's phone. Oh, my God. The girlfriend. Yes. Yes. The girlfriend. But he convinced himself he must be mistaken. Mm. Quote, Ortiz was a churchgoer. This always gets me. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't matter. I'm going to get into it in my takeaways. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'll just say it now is that bad people do bad things, but religion also makes people do bad things, too. Yeah. Um, And it really doesn't matter if they're a churchgoer or not. (laughs) Exactly. Some of the worst people I've ever encountered in my whole life are churchgoers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, uh, he said, quote, Ortiz was a churchgoer. He never once talked to me about prostitutes. If someone had told me that Ortiz was picking up women on San Bernardo, I would have said, you've definitely got the wrong guy, unquote. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. All right. So that's where we're going to leave it for today. Please tune in next week for part two. We wanted to be thorough on this one, so it's going to take us two parts. Yeah. So now we're going to move on to how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Thank you. So this is this is a throwback tip um, that we got a while back on a different case from one of our fruities, Sophie, on our Facebook page. And it's safety tips for sex workers. Um, So if you are a sex worker, tell someone what platform you use to make arrangements with clients. Allow people to track you using Google Maps or Waze. You can set a certain location as your destination and then text a friend with a link so they can track where you are relative to that destination. There are also panic alarm buttons for your phone. Set up a group text on your phone to multiple people who you you're Uh, who are like your safety people and let those people know when you're leaving and when you should be back. Text me when you get home, you know, that whole campaign. That kind of thing, yeah. Uh, Tell them exactly where you expect to be and the text updates whenever you change your locations. A date that understands the importance of your well-being should be fine with this. So it is also a great way to filter out D-bags, dick bags. (laughs) (laughs) Also, ask your date for a picture before you go with them and send a picture of him to your friends. Have a safety plan and give it to friends. It needs to include contact numbers for your significant other, your counselor, doctor, and any other important to you number. Um, Also include a list of favorite hangouts and weekly activities. Okay, so that's it for tips. Now it's shout out time. (laughs) Will we shout out any content by or about any people of color, other um, folks, or any true crime goodies? I have a few. Okay, and cool. uh, I don't know if you've seen you people on Netflix. I've seen I've seen it on there, but I haven't watched it yet. And I put it in my um, uh, watch list. Okay. I it's it's it, uh it's come with some mixed reviews. Mm-hmm. Black people uh 
so far um, I've encountered don't love it, hmm. um, but I did love it. And oh, okay. old Whitey loved it. We watched it together. Now it's not perfect. What is? Yeah. Um, and the, sure, there's room for criticism, but it's a fun watch. Um, just pop in an edible and sit down with your boo and enjoy yourself. <laughs> so is it a movie or a show? It's a movie. It's a movie, a movie okay. on Netflix about a guy named Ezra. He's played by Jonah Hill and Amira, who's played by Lauren London. And uh, they um, meet and they fall in love and they get married. Amira is black and Muslim and Jonah Hill's character is Jewish and white. And, um, uh, you know, so it's craziness like ensues. It's like a guest who's coming worlds. to dinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And um, there's some really funny parts. Eddie Murphy plays Amira's dad. Um, Nia Long is in it. She plays her mom. Um, Julia Louis Dreyfus plays Ezra's mom. <laughs> David Duchovny plays Ezra's dad. Oh, um, there's a whole like a whole like uh, it's it's just star studded and it's just fun. Okay, so cool. there's that. And then um, the podcast, The Exorcist Files. Ooh. Have you heard of this? I have not. Oh, my God. So it's a real life priest who decided to open up his exorcism files. Oh, my God. And there's sound effects and reenactments. All I can say is don't listen alone at night with oh full bowels because you will shit yourself. <laughs> uh, also, <laughs> another podcast is The War on Drugs. And um, it's 50 years later after, you know, Nixon started this war on drugs and a gazillion dollars later and it hasn't worked. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. it's about people's experiences. It's about stats and facts and cases. Um, but it's really great and also funny. Um, so so what do you that's have? a podcast also? That's a podcast. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm uh, right in the middle of subscribing to oh, these I things. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to shout out uh, Will Trent on Hulu. I saw this in my feed and I'm not sure what to make of it. What is it? It's a police procedural starring Raymond Rodriguez, a Puerto Rican actor, as a oh. as GBI special agent Will Trent, and it's set in Atlanta. And they um, one of the stories featured that lake that you said uh, is haunted. Oh, oh, Lake Lanier. Yeah, yeah. Oh boy. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. I'm into it. Yeah, I think you'd enjoy it. Okay. I liked it. I just added it to my watch list. Um, what else? Now, you got? speaking of something that's great. Oh, girl. <laughs> Poker Face on Peacock. Yes. <laughs> I so love it. It is so, so good. As soon as I started watching it, I, th I think I watched the first episode and I texted you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, already on it. <laughs> so I love it. Yeah. It's created by the guy who wrote Knives Out and stars Natasha Leone from Orange is the New Black. Mm. The first episode is good, but it just gets better from there. Yep. It kind of follows the style of old school mysteries like Columbo. <gasps> and uh, you, you, did you ever I watch only, Columbo? No, I've no? only heard of Columbo in conversations about poker okay. face. Okay, yeah. So it's it's the same kind of a um, structure. At, okay. at the beginning, we see the murder and who okay. committed the murder. And mm -hmm. then... Uh, uh, Natasha Leon's character. What's her name? The character Charlie. Charlie, yeah. Mm -hmm. So Charlie, um, somehow or other, uh, is injected into the story, and uh, she kind of figures out how the crimes happened and everything. Yeah. And she's kind yeah. of bumbling like Columbo was, you know. Oh, okay, and, okay. Because uh, he was uh, he was uh, an investigator, but and he was really smart, but he always mm -hmm. acted like he was stupid, and so oh. he would always catch people that way. And oh. Every episode has a different cast and celebrity cameos, which was yes. also something that Columbo did. Oh, okay. Um, and the it's cast, delightful. Yes, and it's people. always diverse, and the uh -huh. characters are everyday people, so it's mm -hmm. not like a bunch of rich people all the time. It's, it's yeah. like just regular, everyday people. Yeah, And yeah. the humor is right up my alley. I was sitting there watching it and <laughs> laughing all by myself. It's Me so too. funny. It yeah. is just a delight. Yes. It is a wonderful show. So I'm going to recap all these shout-outs. Hold on to your butts. You people <laughs> on Netflix, uh, the podcast, The Exorcist, files wherever you get your podcast also the podcast the war on drugs wherever you get your podcast will trent streaming on hulu as well as poker face streaming on peacock all of those are very good let us know what you think of them yeah i know we're here 
All don't right, cry. Well, don't cry. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> you know you, you when you cry so much that you get like a headache? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how much I've been crying. Um, oh, so, are you all right? Yeah, it's just I'm the I think a lot of it is the weather. Oh, and it's so just it makes me really you down. like depressed. Yeah. And yeah. so like the slightest thing is like that's me crying. Yeah, everything yeah. everything sucks. But I'll be okay. Um in the meantime, you are gonna be okay, but and you can find us where, Beth. Our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website, plus check it out for the different ways you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. You can also support us by supporting our sponsors or by giving us a five-star review. Absolutely. Now yeah. this is a weekly podcast, and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? (sighs) Download American Vigilante now. you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. Type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy and you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. Clueless.